Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'm catching on the hosel, right? Yeah, right, right. Moving my head? Yeah. Clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess. Four! Please, Darren Pritchett is now broadcasting. Oh, wow! In your have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And a pleasant good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. On your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Our stream is available right now at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. Eight minutes after 5 o'clock, it is 79 degrees in downtown South Bend, Indiana on this Friday, July the 8th of 2022. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser. The King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. By the St. Joseph County 4-H Fair, summer starts here, going on now through July 9th. Get details at 4hfair.com. And by Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt Don't Shop, where new beginnings have happy endings. Well, I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for joining me, wrapping up your work week here on WSBT Radio. We are on the air until 645 tonight at 645. You'll hear from Max Toma and Brendan King. They will have the call of South Bend Cubs baseball as they battle for first place in the Western Division with tonight's opponent, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. They are affiliated with the Milwaukee Brewers. DJ Hers, the outstanding young Cubs pitching prospect, is on the mound tonight. So if you're going to the game tonight, listening on the radio, you will see or hear from a really good Cubs prospect tonight. And DJ Hers. Pre-game at 6.45, first pitch at 7.05 from Four Winds Field in downtown South Bend, Indiana. On the program this evening, next segment, our Twitter question of the day. Yesterday's question was about the Chicago Bears. We'll off the results of that question, and we have a Cubs question for you this afternoon. Coming up at about 5.40, a little National Football League talk as camps are going to be opening in just a couple of weeks. One of the top stories of the week in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns finally shipped off their starting quarterback the last couple of years, Baker Mayfield, to the Carolina Panthers. The Bears and Colts do not play the Panthers this year, but the Detroit Lions, I believe, will have a chance to take on Baker Mayfield. How weird. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold on the same team. They were the first two picks of the draft. I should say the first two quarterbacks taken in the 2018 National Football League draft. Now they come together in Carolina. My five question of the day coming up at the end of the 6 o'clock hour. At 6.07, we'll talk to South Bend Cubs broadcaster Brendan King. From Four Winds Field in downtown South Bend, we'll talk about some of the young prospects currently on that South Bend baseball team, including Pete Crow Armstrong, a 20-year-old outfielder from California. Crow Armstrong was named to Major League Baseball's future game earlier this week. Currently a member of the South Bend Cubs. He's played 18 or 19 games with South Bend. 
He's facing a lot of older players right now. The batting average in the on-base is fairly low right now, but he put up massive numbers at Low A Myrtle Beach before he was called up to South Bend. So BK will give you all the details on Crow Armstrong and other South Bend Cubs coming up in just about an hour here on WSBT Radio. We will wrap up the 6 o'clock hour with my sports wagering segment here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. My first pitch to you tonight is this. The Fighting Irish of Notre Dame can help make college football even better. Now, before we get into this conversation, it is not Notre Dame's job to make college football better. All the football teams across the country, as a group, they all want to accomplish that. College football, it's interesting. It is extremely popular from coast to coast, but yet ratings and attendance has been slipping for several years now. Not going to games makes sense from a couple of standpoints. There are places across the country that ticket prices are just too much. And the average Joe just can't afford to go to either that many games or any game at all. You got to buy parking, got to buy the tickets. When you go to the game, you got to have concessions. It can add up very quickly. And for some people, it's just not economically wise. The TV ratings is surprising. Now, when it comes to the big games, you're going to see outstanding ratings. The Michigan-Ohio State game was the most watched regular season game last year. It's a big game for those two programs and those two fan bases, but also that's one of those games that people all across the country look forward to watching at the end of the regular season. But there's just a lot of games early on in the year that lack any type of buzz. The non-conference schedules of the Power Five teams can get a little sleepy. Not for Notre Dame in the first week playing at Ohio State. Definitely not sleepy. But you look at the first couple of weeks of the season, there aren't many games where you say, well, I gotta make sure I watch that. Cancel the trip to Home Depot. I'm staying home to watch this football game. There are not many of those early on in the season. And you wonder with these new TV deals being constructed if the conferences are aware of that and trying to make changes. They want better games for the networks to bid on, which means the networks have better games to show us on a weekly basis. So Notre Dame joining the Big Ten could make college football better. Again, that's not their job. That's not on their list of reasons to say independent or join a conference. We're just talking in generalities. This is also something that Colin Coward talked about this week on his show, which you can hear on WSBT Radio, weekdays from 2 to 5 leading into this program. Coward on his radio show offered... The following thoughts I'm going to play for you on Notre Dame looking at the possibility of joining a conference while holding on to those independent roots tightly. So give a listen. Here's what Colin Coward had to say in regards to Notre Dame, at least looking over the possibilities of what lies out there in conference play. Notre Dame Fighting Irish are officially this morning the last great college football brand that is not in the Big Ten or the SEC. They're it. And both would take them, though I think academically and geographically, uh, geographically Big Ten fits. They are the last great brand. I know Miami, Miami, yet yeah, the U, you have been irrelevant for 20 years. 
You're not a great football brand. Nobody goes to your games. You could be again. You're fun, you're glamorous, you're fantastically flashy. But the you, you have been irrelevant for 20 years. Clemson is not a national brand. It's great, but it's regional. Nobody, nobody really, Big Ten Territory West, knows it, cares about it. Florida State, same thing. Notre Dame is the last great brand in college football, not in one of the two conferences. I know, I know, it's just outrageous. So that's the first part of Colin's comments. He is right. When you take a look at anybody not in the two super conferences, the SEC or the Big Ten, hands down, not even close, the biggest brand available is the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. I'm not quite sure who's second at this point. There is a massive cliff in between Notre Dame and everybody else right now. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not being cocky by saying that. I'm not being a homer. If I was sitting in Spokane, Washington right now doing a radio show and talking about all this chaos, I would say the same exact thing. If I was in Spokane, Washington, I would have no ties to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, and I'd be saying it's Notre Dame, and then next, I don't know. USC and UCLA could have been in that conversation, but they have now joined the Big Ten Conference. So Notre Dame is the best, dare I say, free agent available. And number two is, I don't know. That's why everybody's waiting to see what Notre Dame's going to do. They're probably going to have a long wait, but Notre Dame is worth waiting on. Notre Dame is that really hot girl in high school that everybody wants to talk to, but you're just a little too shy. You're afraid to go talk to her. But everybody wants her, that's for sure, to be their date on Friday night. Well, Notre Dame's that hot girl right now, and everybody wants to call him up and say, how you doing? (laughs) Sorry, that became Joey of Friends all of a sudden. Not sure where that came from. But, yeah, there's a huge drop-off at this time. And Colin's right. The Big Ten does make the most sense from an academic standpoint, geographically speaking, rivalries. It would be perfect. If that's the road they want to go, I would applaud from the top of the mountain. If they are able to stay independent, I will applaud from the top of the mountain. Deep down, I'll be a little disappointed. I'm really intrigued about Notre Dame being in the Big Ten, but I understand the independent roots, and I will applaud them. If they can pull it off, that they can stay independent, hey, more power to them. It is interesting. Just a lot of people on Twitter doing polls, different media members. I did my own about Notre Dame, independent, Big Ten, SEC. All these polls... Notre Dame going to the Big Ten wins. Now, is this people that are not Notre Dame fans voting, piling on these vote totals to make it look like Notre Dame fans are wanting the Big Ten? You know, maybe. I mean, mine is more Notre Dame fans, and the Big Ten won handily over independence. I think the younger generation is intrigued by conference play for the Irish. The people who graduated from Notre Dame – 15, 20, 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago are bonded to independence, and I totally get that. The one thing I will say, I'm not sure I totally agree with Colin talking about nobody outside the geographic areas surrounding Clemson knows or cares about Clemson. We know about Clemson around here. We know how much of a handful they have been for years. Notre Dame finally got them during the COVID year at Notre Dame Stadium. But they have been as good as anybody in the country. So I think it's a bit of a reach to say that no one cares or really understands what Clemson's all about. If you don't, you're really not a college football fan at this particular time. Now, do they bring you the type of revenue you're looking for as a super conference? You know, I'm not quite sure. If that report that Oregon would be worth around $30 million to the Big Ten and I think I read the report to you all earlier in the week that the Big Ten's just going to kind of be like $30 million. Nah, that's not worth our time. I'm not sure what Clemson would be worth. It's not like they're in a massive TV market. Their winning value would be important, but I'm just not sure how much they would really bring to a conference outside of their excellence in football 
the last decade. But I do think Clemson is a little more understood across the country than Colin was talking about. So, again, we're talking about Notre Dame can make college football better by joining a conference. Again, this is hypothetically speaking. It's not Notre Dame's job to make college football better. But Colin Coward talked about this subject earlier this week right here on WSBT Radio. But I was thinking about this this morning. Is that if Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, college football has a big game problem. There's not enough good big games for TV. And it it also has a situation where so many Saturdays we're sitting around sort of waiting for the big game at night. But the Big Ten airs its games early. If Notre Dame was included in the Big Ten tomorrow, I just put up nine or ten games that you would get on an average weekend. Think about this. These are the rivalries, and college football is the last sport with great rivalries. Ohio State-Michigan game, that would be Big Ten. USC-Notre Dame, Big Ten. Michigan-Notre Dame, Big Ten. Penn State-Ohio State. USC-Ohio State. USC-Michigan. Michigan-Michigan State. Penn State-Notre Dame. Wisconsin-Ohio State. That's just nine off the top. None of those feel small. None of those feel regional. And college football has, for the last decade, become incredibly insular and regional. I know, I know, people say this all the time. Oh, there's nothing to fix. College football's great. No, that's not true. It's on a seven-year attendance and ratings decline. It needs a testosterone shot in the arm. USC and UCLA to the Big Ten help. Notre Dame to the Big Ten would be B12 times 10. <laughs> I see what he's getting at there. Again, that's Colin Coward from his radio show earlier this week on WSBT Radio, heard between 2 and 5 o'clock. He's not wrong. If Notre Dame would join the Big Ten, just think about all the number of matchups you could have spread out over a Big Ten season that would draw interest. Now, the list he's talking about, he had a graphic for his TV viewers, and I think like Penn State, Wisconsin was on there. I'm not sure that falls into the same category as some of the other premier matchups, USC, Notre Dame, USC, Michigan, USC, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan. That's a little different ballgame. Penn State, Wisconsin is a reach. That would be more of a regional matchup. But the increase in the interest in the Big Ten would be at an all-time high if Notre Dame ever decided to join the conference. USC and UCLA brings a lot of intrigue. Is Wisconsin-USC going to be a game that a good majority of people want to tune in to see? Is Penn State-UCLA going to be a game that's going to be important to you. Now, the first time it happens, newness. Okay, let's watch that. Let's see those really cool USC blue uniforms in Happy Valley taking on the all-white Penn State Nittany Lions. White helmet, white shirt, white pants. Do they wear black shoes, or is that just paternal? I can't remember now. I can't visualize it. So maybe the newness wears off on UCLA-Penn State after we see it. A couple of times. USC against the big boys in the Big Ten, that will not get old. Seeing Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State at the L.A. Coliseum like we see Notre Dame every other year, to me that's cool. And to me that's a game I would be interested in seeing. If Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, you're adding four or five very important games to the Big Ten schedule, games that people will want to watch. And when you think about trying to get better games for college football fans, that's one way of doing it. Now, it takes Notre Dame jumping aboard to do it, but that's one way of doing it. We need to get rid of some of those lousy September games. And if you have a moment this weekend, go to like ESPN.com or CBSSports.com, go to the college football page, go to the schedule, and look at week one and week two. You're all fired up for college football. You're ready to see your team play. You're ready to see Notre Dame and Ohio State play. You're ready for Oregon and Georgia. And there's a buildup for those games. But you look at the other games, it's like, uh, 
don't really want to watch this. No, that's there's just not a lot of drama outside of two, three, four games the first couple of weeks of the college football season. We need more juiciness. We need more excitement in those games. And again, just for the sake of argument, there are a lot of things that need to happen, but if Notre Dame would ever decide to go to the Big Ten, that is one way to add a heck of a lot more intrigue to not only the Big Ten schedule, but the college football slate week in and week out. College football is not perfect. People love tradition. You know what the tradition has been the last 10 years in college football? Do you know what the dominant tradition is in college football last decade? That an SEC team will get to the national championship game and two out of three years win it. That's great for one conference. That's great for one region. And I got nothing against that region. You can't build a sport on one region and one conference. I don't know if Notre Dame going to the Big Ten can solve the SEC dominance issue. But I know it can solve the more big games during the regular season issue. Just look at a Big Ten schedule. And I just put nine or ten interesting games up. Those would all be the game of the week. There's two problems in college football. Big problems. One conference dominates it. I don't think you can solve that for now. And we just don't have enough great games. Go look at Labor Day weekend. 95 college football games. Two you have to watch. Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oregon, Georgia. Two. That you could put on television and get a legitimate rating as a network. And yeah, that's where the money comes from. Going to have to get over that. The following weekend, there's over 95 college football games. One rating. Alabama, Texas. So I don't think you can solve the SEC dominance issue. They're going to be great. They love it. It matters a lot to them. That's awesome. But you can absolutely solve too many boring Saturdays with too many ugly mismatches and not enough marquee games issue with Notre Dame to the Big Ten. It's going to take a lot of things falling into place to disrupt the SEC dominance. There are so many great football players in the South that those SEC teams can load up on. Plus, they have the ability. Not everybody. Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia, they can go coast to coast, and they can add really good players to the outstanding regional players that they can bring in. Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, two of the elite coaches in college football. In the SEC, you got to beat them. As we've seen, good luck on that. But you know how we can disrupt SEC dominance? It's not Notre Dame going to the Big Ten Conference. That will not disrupt SEC dominance. Here's how we disrupt SEC dominance. Marcus Freeman's ability to coach a football team at as high of a level as he can recruit. If that happens... That's how we disrupt the SEC. The players that Marcus Freeman is bringing in with the coaching staff in place, coaching them up. If these young men adapt to this coaching staff and play at a high level, Marcus Freeman can be the disruptor of the SEC dominance. That's what every Irish fan is hoping for. It is amazing to talk to Irish fans on the street. And they are so excited about Marcus Freeman. Everybody wants this to work desperately. And everybody is giddy over what they're seeing recruiting-wise. Now, Dante Moore, the four-star quarterback, 23 class, picked Oregon today. Yeah, it's a bit of a downer, but he seemed to cool on the Irish, coincidence or not, when C.J. Carr, the 24 four-star quarterback, picked the Fighting Irish. But that's okay. Look what they're doing in the 23 and 24 class. Your head coach is front and center in what's happening in recruiting. And he has put together a terrific recruiting staff. Remember how we used to talk about how good Mike Elston was, the defensive line coach of Notre Dame at recruiting? And he brought in unbelievable players, great developer of talent. We've all kind of forgotten him, haven't we? Because look what this entire coaching staff is doing right now in the recruiting circles. You know how we disrupt the SEC dominance? 
Marcus Freeman becoming one of those elite coaches that we are just talking about. They're recruiting from coast to coast, as always, but they're also going into the backyard of Ohio State, for example, and getting marquee players. So, yeah, Notre Dame to the Big Ten, that's not going to disrupt SEC dominance, and it's going to take a lot of things to do it. But here in South Bend, the hope is Marcus Freeman can be the bulldozer heading down to the SEC. 5.32 is our time. I'm Darren Pritchett. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, and you can catch more from Colin Coward, 2 to 5, here on WSBT Radio. When we get to football season, he is college football. He is NFL. He is a great listen during the football season. So always has a great show, great guest. So check out Colin, 2 to 5, here on WSBT Radio, right before Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Twitter question of the day is coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And we're back on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Darren Pritchard with you at 536. Twitter question of the day from Thursday. According to Caesars Sportsbook, the Chicago Bears under six and a half win prop has received the most money among any NFL teams under prop. People are believing the Bears are not going to win more than six and a half games this year. Again, more money has been wagered on the Bears under win total than any other under win total in the National Football League. So we pose this question to you. If you were someone to wager, would you go with the Bears over six and a half wins? Or would you go with the Bears under six and a half wins? Well, over six and a half wins got 38.7% of the vote. Under six and a half wins, 61.3%. Matt Eberflus is the new head coach of the Chicago Bears. He arrives after being the defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. I don't know if there was a lot of, oh my goodness, buzz with that particular hire. I'm not saying Bears fans think it was a bad hire, but it wasn't like, yes, here we go. It's like, All right, let's wait and see. It's all going to depend what type of offense they build around Justin Fields. I think we can all agree whether you're a Bears fan or not. It can't be any worse than what we saw last year with Matt Nagy. This game plan has to be better. It can't be worse. You look at the NFC North, you've got those six divisional games, Detroit, Minnesota, Green Bay. Is Green Bay going to be the Green Bay of the last couple of years, that team that can get to the postseason but not get to the Super Bowl after a terrific regular season? You don't have to worry about Devontae Adams anymore, wide receiver. He's now a Las Vegas Raider. You still have Aaron Rodgers, but who's his best wide receiver right now? Alan Lazard? Now he's going to make everybody better around him. But you wonder, do the Packers take a step back? I've heard the Vikings are kind of the team that people are buying that could be ready for a surge this year. They still have Kirk Cousins as their starting quarterback. And the Lions are still building, so I'm not sure we should have enormous expectations for Detroit. And then there's the Bears. Like, their whole team is down in Atlanta now. How many free agents have the Falcons signed? They used to play for the Bears. It's remarkable. Is that good news for Atlanta or not? I'm not sure. But I think I would go under six and a half wins, too. I think they're a five, six-win team in Chicago this year. Thanks for voting on my Twitter account, at 960 Sportsbeat. Now let's get to today's Sportsbeat Twitter question of the day. It's from Major League Baseball involving the Chicago Cubs. Cubs in the middle of a rebuild right now. They have a top 15 minor league prospect in their system that plays the outfield. Here in South Bend, there's an outfielder going to the Futures game. 
and the international signee from last offseason. He's been injured a lot, but he's been effective in the outfield for the Cubs, which leads us to this. Who will be the Chicago Cubs' best outfielder three years from now? Here are the four choices I'm going to give you. I'm not going to put Ian Happ on the list. Personally, I think Happ gets moved at some point or doesn't get re-signed despite having a very solid year this year. They just have a lot of good outfielders coming. All right, so here you go. Who will be the Cubs' best outfielder three years from now? Choice number one, Seiya Suzuki, the free agent signee. How about that inside the park home run in Milwaukee the other day? Choice number two, the guy who was the MVP of the Major League Baseball Futures game last year, a Midwest League champion in 2019 for the South Bend Cubs, top 15 prospect, Brennan Davis. Choice number three, South Bend Cub current outfielder Pete Crow Armstrong, acquired by the Cubs from the Mets for Javier Baez last year. Pete Crow Armstrong will be in the Futures game at Dodger Stadium. And the fourth choice, the best outfielder for the Cubs three years from now, choice number four is this. He is not currently in the organization. I'm just saying Aaron Judge is out there, even though it doesn't seem likely. Judge wants to go to a winning team, not a rebuild. But that's just kind of an interesting choice. So who will be the Cubs' best outfielder three years from now? Seiya Suzuki, Brennan Davis, Pete Crow Armstrong, or not currently with the organization. You can vote this weekend on my Twitter account at 960-SPORTSBEAT. 542 on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Fourteen minutes in front of six o'clock. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, a live stream at WSBTradio.com and on the free WSBT radio app, which you can pick up right now at the iTunes or Google Play stores. Just search WSBT Radio. That way you can listen to us live. Our podcasts available anytime. You would like to listen to them. South Bend Cubs baseball in one hour here on WSBT Radio. Well, National Football League camps are going to be starting here in about two weeks, believe it or not, which means it's almost time for fantasy football drafts as well. But the National Football League ready to roll once again this year. The Los Angeles Rams are the defending Super Bowl champions. They are pretty well intact from last year's championship run in which they won the title on their home field beating the upstart, the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, one team that is trying to rebuild themselves, remember Super Bowl 50, the Carolina Panthers lost one game during the regular season, got to Super Bowl 50, and lost to Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos, and the Panthers have not been the same team since. You can say the same thing about the Broncos as well. But at least Denver now has Russell Wilson. They feel like they have hope. He takes over at quarterback after being traded by Seattle. Carolina still looking for that next generational quarterback. Cam Newton was let go a few years ago, brought back last year. Didn't work out. They traded for Sam Darnold last year. That didn't work out. So why not try to trade for another quarterback? Maybe they hit this time. Well, the Panthers earlier this week acquired quarterback Baker Mayfield from the Cleveland Browns for a 2024 conditional pick. Now, the Panthers are going to pay Mayfield $4.85 million. The Browns are going to pick up $10.5 million. So they are picking up a big chunk of his salary to have him play against them for the Carolina Panthers. Now, Mayfield agreed to convert the remaining $18 million into incentives to facilitate this deal, and Mayfield can earn the money back based on team performance, according to a source who told this to ESPN 
NFL insider Adam Schefter. Mayfield, the number one overall pick in the 2018 draft, the Heisman Trophy winner from the Oklahoma Sooners. Saquon Barkley, the Penn State running back, went number two to the New York football giants. And then third, it was the New York Jets selecting USC quarterback Sam Darnold. All of a sudden, you've got Mayfield and Darnold, two of the top three picks in 2018 on the same roster in Carolina. Plus, the Panthers went out and drafted Ole Miss quarterback Matt Carell in the third round. What do they say all the time? If you don't have or if you have multiple quarterbacks, you probably don't have that one guy that's going to be the difference maker. They've got guys, but can they be any good? You know, Baker Mayfield gets sort of a bad rap. He went to Cleveland, bad organization, bad results for so many years. He was a part of the reason why they became a playoff team. They were very competitive last year. It didn't work out. A very disappointing year. Mayfield took a blunt or a big hit, I think, from a public standpoint that he was the reason why the Browns did not fulfill their expectations last year. I think that's a little unfair. But for some reason, Baker just isn't the most likable guy. I know we talked about Colin Coward earlier in the program. He's been hard on Mayfield for a good amount of time. Not saying he's wrong. But Baker just seems to be an easy target. He does make some comments from time to time that puts himself in an awkward situation. He's got all those commercials that have been on TV. So he is a guy we're very familiar with. But can he be a difference maker in Carolina? It'll be interesting to see. Sam Darnold, just to me, is not a starting quarterback in the National Football League. Might be a backup, not a starter. Didn't show it with the Jets. To be fair, that's not exactly a place where you get a fair shot. Went to Carolina. The job was his. Just did not get the job done. So you assume Baker Mayfield will be the starting quarterback for the Panthers. And what do you know? What do you know? Guess who the Panthers play in week one? Would you believe Baker's old team, the Cleveland Browns? What a week one matchup that will be. The Browns are currently a one-point favorite on the road against Carolina. Now, Mayfield became available when the Browns acquired Deshaun Watson from the Houston Texans. We are still waiting to hear if Watson will face disciplinary action from the NFL due to some issues away from the football field that have been well-documented. Jacoby Brissett, the old Indianapolis Colt quarterback, right now is the number two quarterback in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield traded to Carolina. And if Deshaun Watson gets suspended any amount of time by the National Football League. You know what? Jacoby Brissett's going to have his chance to be a starting quarterback in the National Football League once again. Bears, Colts, Lions, they do not play the Browns this year. The Lions will play the Carolina Panthers on the road Christmas Eve, week 16 of the NFL season. So they might see Baker Mayfield. They might see Sam Darnold. Heck, at this point, who knows? They might even see Matt Carell, the Ole Miss quarterback. Very interesting offseason in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield just waiting to be traded. It finally happened. He is now a Carolina Panther. 553 Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Darren Pritchett with you on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Let's go ahead and move to our My 5 question of the day here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Now, the 2022 NHL draft started last night in Montreal and wrapped up earlier today. Now, whether you're looking for an NHL team to cheer for or maybe you're looking for a secondary team, let me offer you some suggestions. Here are five teams to consider based on their ties to the University of Notre Dame. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. At number five, we're trying to find you an NHL team. So let's use Notre Dame as a reason why for you to choose a team. We'll start at number five with kind of the New York Yankees of the NHL from one standpoint. There's a lot of tradition. Now, probably the Canadians are the Yankees from a parallel standpoint. But in terms of popularity, anguish, 
anger, emotion, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Those fans have been waiting for a Stanley Cup since 1968. They had the Tampa Bay Lightning down in their first-round series this year. Couldn't close it out. It's tough to eliminate the champ. But the Maple Leafs have a lot of ties right now to the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame hockey program. Right now on their AHL squad, the Toronto Marlies, you've got Notre Dame forward Graham Slaggard, who had the game-winning goal in the NCAA tournament regional semifinal win over North Dakota up in Albany, New York, and the son of longtime Notre Dame assistant coach Andy Slaggard. Also on the Marlies, Max Ellis, who was a part of last year's Irish team, former Notre Dame defenseman Matt Hellickson, and another player with ties to Notre Dame that had played with the Marlies and also made his NHL debut at the Toronto Maple Leafs, Alex Steves, our leading point man two years ago. So if you're looking for an NHL team to root for, you want somebody from Notre Dame to root for, a lot of choices right now for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Four. Coming in at number four, the Nashville Predators. First off, awesome town. I mean, the Predators Arena is right on Broadway in Nashville. If you're not familiar with Broadway, that's where all the honky-tonks are. Tootsies, Kid Rock, all of them right there. And what's kind of cool is on one side of the street is the Predators Arena. You cross the street, and there's the Church of Country Music, the Ryman Auditorium. Not what you'd expect. Honky-tonks, hockey, and the Mother Church, the Ryman Auditorium. But it's an awesome area. And another reason to root for the Predators, I've had the chance to get to know this guy, and he is a gem. He is a Notre Dame alum, former voice of Fighting Irish Hockey, and he has gone on to do hockey, baseball. He's been with the Sabres, the Kings, and now the longtime Radio voice of the Nashville Predators, Pete Weber. Not the bowler, but Pete Weber has a great voice, so knowledgeable, great pacing when he's calling a game, and you will not find a nicest gentleman. I had breakfast with him down in Nashville in December, and it has been a pleasure to get to know Pete through the last few years with our ties to Notre Dame hockey. So honky-tonks, hockey, and Pete Weber reason to Take a look at that Predator team. Okay, okay. Uh, number three. Well, number three, I have the Carolina Hurricanes because one of my favorite Notre Dame guys plays for them, but he's a free agent, so we might have to take Carolina off the list and replace him with another team. That's defenseman Ian Cole, who changed really what Notre Dame hockey was all about, became the first blue-chip player to sign with Jeff Jackson in South Bend. It was assumed he was going to Michigan. He did not, and the rest is history. Ian Cole, one of the funniest guys you will run across and a very good hockey player last year for Carolina. Number two. Looking for an NHL team to root for, maybe a secondary team. We're trying to tie in a Notre Dame connection to give you some choices. Number two, the New York Islanders. They don't get any better than Anders Lee, the former Irish captain, now captain of the New York Islanders. Had an ACL injury over a year ago. Found his stride last year. Wonderful gentleman. Physical hockey player. And one of the best leaders I've run across at the University of Notre Dame. Anders Lee, New York Islanders, great choice. Number one. But number one, I'll go with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Brian Rush just signed a new contract, the former Irish forward. And he plays with Sidney Crosby. So when you factor in Notre Dame guy Rust with one of the best players in hockey, Crosby, Penguins are a pretty good team to cheer for. 558 is our time. We'll talk some South Bend Cubs and Chicago Cubs baseball with broadcaster Brendan King next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leading off the 6 o'clock hour on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy is good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. A Midwest League champion. Adios! Walk-off home run, Eloy Jimenez. Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. Here's Darren Pritchett. 
Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Darren Pritchett with you on this Friday evening. Coming up after Sports Beat, South Bend Cubs baseball. The Cubbies taking on the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. 705 first pitch, 645 pregame. One of our broadcasters, Brendan King, joins me on this Friday evening, live from Four Winds Field in downtown South Bend. BK, how are you? Darren, doing great. Thanks so much for having me, as always. It is my pleasure, and quite the ending to last night's ball game. Oh, man. Uh, you know, Owen Casey, Darren, is a guy that we've talked about before. Great call by Max Toma here on WSBT Radio. And, you know, Casey got a hanging slider a bit inside right in his wheelhouse, and he didn't miss it. I mean, you don't see too many walk-off grand slams in the first place, let alone in the Midwest League. So, I mean, that's a special night at Winsfield. Was it his birthday yesterday, or was it recently his birthday? He turns 20 today, Darren. Okay. So his last swing <laughs> as a teenager is going to be a walk-off grand slam. How do you like to end your 19th year like that? Man, oh, man, I guarantee it was not that exciting. <laughs> when you grow up in a town of 2,400, nothing exciting ever happens, that's for sure. Hey, what's at stake right now? For South Bend, because unlike past years, BK, there's a little different format to qualify for the postseason in the Midwest League. So how important is this series against Wisconsin? Look, Darren, as you know very well, you can't clinch playoff spots in the Midwest League in July, but you can set yourself up in order to do so in the future. And this is a monster series against Wisconsin. Really, since the Cubs took five of six in Beloit this past weekend, at the top of the Midwest League West Division right now, there's Wisconsin, there's South Bend. So Beloit is now five games back. Quad Cities and Peoria are even further. And then Cedar Rapids clinched the first half. So it might come down to the Cubs and the Timber Rattlers. I know you talked to uh, Chris Meering yesterday, and he's a great conversation. But, I mean, this might be the biggest July series I can remember I've covered here in now my three years. I don't know about you if you remember anything from 15, 16, and 17. But, mm-hmm. I mean – this is monstrous, Darren, and that's a huge win last night. It sets the guys up with some confidence for the rest of the series. If you can rattle off here tonight possibly three straight wins against the team that is directly behind you, that's huge because, as you alluded to, there is no longer a wild card team in the Midwest League division standings anymore. You have to win the division to clinch a playoff spot, and Cedar Rapids did that in the West. In the East, it was Great Lakes. So now there's only two more playoff spots for the rest of the league, the rest of the half. Yeah, I'm just thinking in 16, we clinched the first half title, so there was no real drama in the second half. Then we had some lean years, and the championship season, I think we kind of pulled away, didn't we, coming down the stretch, so it was just going to be either division title or wild card. It was something like that, but I know we clinched late late in the regular season. We were playing Bowling Green, our first-round opponent. But, yeah, I think this might be the most interesting July series since I started doing the games back in 2015. And what's kind of clicked right now for South Bend, Brennan, because they had a 10-game winning streak recently. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, first of all. And and like you said, we were the wild card team in the second half of yeah. 2019. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about. You squeak into the playoffs, and then you go undefeated 7-0 in that playoff run. Unbelievable. Um, but in terms of what's clicking, Darren, I think the starting pitching – has been exceptional as of late because we, as we are seeing later on in the year, the young guys, they're getting to extend their arms. They're getting to lengthening games as opposed, as you know, to the month of April and May when pitch counts are a thing. You know, DJ Hers, for example, throwing tonight, a top 10 Cubs prospect. He's still got a pitch count limited of about 80 or so, but that's consistent with most guys you'll see his age. At the start of the year, he was barely going three innings. You know, Jordan Wicks threw game one of this series on the 4th of July. Five innings, scoreless ball. He was terrific. Um, you think about Cole Franklin last night, who now has put together back-to-back starts of at least four innings after he did not do that for basically 1,000 straight days. He missed 950 consecutive mm. days of baseball due to COVID and due to injury. And now his arm, that's looking lively as well. So I think the starting pitching really has set the tone. And then you know, guys like Casey, Pinango, and others, all right, bringing home all the runs. Brendan King, South Bend Cubs broadcaster, joining me on WSBT Radio. BK Jordan Wicks, first-round pick of the Cubs in 2021, a part of this South Bend Cubs team. I'm looking at 
his resume, his stat line this year. Now, without seeing him pitch every time like you and Max have, I think sometimes stats can be a little misleading. But right now you look at his numbers, and he's got a 394 ERA through 15 games and 61 innings. The whip is at 1.30. But I look at his game stats, and it's not like he's walking four or five guys in a start. It's not like he's getting pounded consistently like nine hits and three innings. Is it just one of those situations where he's having one bad inning and that's causing the stat line to not look as good as it possibly could be? Yeah, partially. I'll give you an example from a couple of weeks ago. We were hosting Peoria, and he went an inning and two-thirds. You might see that on the game log yeah. file. And that inning and two-thirds, it was not because he was struggling. He worked a scoreless first inning. was great. We were on Marquee Sports Network that night. So we're like, all right, so you get – you know, the first-round pick on Marquis. So second inning, he does struggle a little bit, walks a couple, gives up a hit, but he got three separate ground balls in that inning, Darren, that should have ended the inning. Um, so that was a bit of bad luck. And then his pitch count, which at the time was still limited to about 50 or 60, and then, as you know, if you get to about 30 in the inning, typically you will not see a guy continue yeah. no matter who he is. Um, so that inning in two-thirds is a good example. To start the year, I think pitching in the cold really for the first time for him, at least in the state of Indiana, had something to do with it. Um, and, you know, just like anybody else in the Midwest League in April, it could take some time. So it's been really fun to watch him as of late, and you can expect hopefully those five inning starts to continue. Let's go to the offensive side for the South Bend Cubs for a couple of moments. Great news earlier this week as Pete Crow Armstrong, the first-round pick of the New York Mets, came to the Cubs organization of the Javier Baez trade was named to the Futures game. And, of course, last year, Brennan Davis was the MVP of the Futures game, the former South Bend Cub. And you look at Armstrong, he's only 20 years old. So being 20 years old in high A baseball, I would say there still are, there still are some challenges because he's playing against guys much older than him. But this year, he really tore up at Myrtle Beach, hitting 354 with a 443 on base over 38 games. 19 games in South Bend, hitting 220 with a 226 on base. I mean, there's no reason to panic. I mentioned he's a young guy in, a, in an older league. What's been your early thoughts on watching this kid play? It is mesmerizing, Darren, to watch him in center field. I'm watching batting practice right now, and his pregame routine in center, just shagging fly balls, he makes behind-the-back catches look easy as all hell. It's unbelievable <laughs> to see this kid take fly balls in center. He, he's catching balls behind his head, behind his back, just like he's playing out there. Um, so that's awesome. And then he hits the cover off the ball, man. Um, I had Justin Stone, the Cubs director of hitting, in the broadcast booth last night. And I asked him, as you just brought up, what is now the Cubs' philosophy on challenging their teenagers, let's say, at higher levels? It, as you know, when Cole Roeder was in the Midwest League, when Brennan Davis was in the Midwest League, they were 19-year-olds at low A ball, and that's a yeah. challenge, let alone putting a 19-year-old at high A, a 20-year-old at high A. So you can expect possibly slow stretches. And Pete's had that. He had a great series at Beloit. He went 9 of 18. Um, so, I mean, there are going to be times where he looks terrific, as he is. There are going to be times where he looks like he struggles. But he's a humble dude. I, I describe him, Darren, as – I think he really knows who he is, and he knows what people are saying about him and what his future can be, but he doesn't let that really sink into his game. He's just a nice kid, ball player. Actually, both of his parents, I'm not, I'm not sure if you know this, both of his parents are actors in Hollywood, and his mom was in one of my favorite movies ever, Minority Report, with Tom Cruise. She had a scene with Tom Cruise. How cool is that? Wow. I didn't realize that. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Brendan King, voice of the South Bend Cubs, joining me here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I got a note, and you may know this, but Corey Miller, who used to be the Chicago Cubs bullpen coach, sent me a note that Pete Crow Armstrong and Darian Miller played on the same travel team in California called PBA. Did you realize that? I did not know that. That is pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, I mean – all these kids coming from SoCal, I mean, they are ball players, man. It's really something to see. Okay, so back in 19, we had a pretty good outfield with Davis and Velasquez. And it looks like yeah. you got some pretty good talent right now in South Bend. Is there a chance this year's bunch could be as effective as the group we had in 19? 
I don't see why not, Darren, because Nelson Velasquez, what he was at the time, I know you've told this story on sports before. He came to us partially in 18, really struggled, went back to Eugene, played well. Then in 19, I think it right, he started the year, got hurt, then came back for the championship run. Uh, there's a kid in the outfield right now, Jordan Wogu, the Michigan man, third-round pick of the Cubs. He is built to me just like a Velasquez in terms of physical appearance, his ability to hammer the ball. He plays a pretty good corner outfield as well, cannon of an arm. I'm not saying he's going to be Nelson Velasquez because, as you know, Velasquez is now at the big league level, and you can never assume a guy's pass to the big league. But Wogu, who was hurt since June 18th, he has come back the last few days. His first game back, he had a three-hit game. And then the depth of the outfield, Casey, Crow Armstrong, Wogu, and Pinango are all top 20 prospects. Wow. And then our old pal Jonathan Sierra is in there, too. <laughs> and the last games he played here at Four Winds Field, he had a four-hit game. And then he was on base five times at one point as well. So, I mean, it's not like Sierra is a slouch by any means. The Cubs paid him $2.5 million when he was 17 years old. I mean, he wow. is a higher-up, well-thought-of outfielder. And it has taken a little bit more time, obviously. But he's a physical menace. So, I mean, you throw in five outfielders like that, that's something. All right. I'm going to ask you a really tough question. Are you ready? Oh, boy. Hit me. All right. So I had a Twitter question of the day today, and here's the okay. question. Three years from now, who will be the Chicago Cubs' best outfielder? Now, I could only oh. obviously offer four choices on Twitter, so I narrow oh. it down to these four. Because I'm going to assume yeah. Ian Happ might be moving on eventually from Chicago, not because he's playing poorly, but I think it's part of the rebuild, and you know they got some good outfielders coming. So here's who I went with. Who will be the best Cub outfielder in three years? Seiya Suzuki, Brennan Davis, mm. Pete Crow Armstrong, or someone currently not in the organization? Whew, that is a good one. You know, I think I'm going to go with Brennan, Darren, because yeah. based off of conversations I've had with him and what I've read it seems like the surgery was successful and again I'm not any official doctor or anything like that but it seems like he's feeling good and then in the Des Moines Register yesterday in Iowa Tommy Birch wrote a story that Brennan is planning hopefully to return sometime late in this season whether that's double a Tennessee or triple a Iowa or wherever awesome um so if he can just pick up, what, right, 60% of where he was to start the year, I consider that a success. And then spring training, you hopefully he takes off again next year, and then he gets that call. If we're talking three years from now, I think Pete Crow Armstrong is a juicy choice because of his defense. I, I would just like to see how his bat does next year at AA. Suzuki's been great. Uh, you know, I think that's a safe pick. Yeah. But – I don't know. I just think Brennan is still the dude, and I'm excited to see him grow in the next few years. That's my choice, too. I just He's just one of those guys I saw in person. The ball comes off his bat a little differently. Not everybody yeah. has that sound that Davis had. And you know what? You know it, too. He's a hard worker. He's a smart kid. He's dedicated. So I think sky's the limit. If his back holds up, I think he has the chance to be an all-star type player for the Cubs. I'm not going to say every year like Mike Trout, don't get me wrong, but I could see him hitting 20 home runs, hitting 290 and stealing 15 bases. That's kind of where I have him. I'm with you, man. And, you know, look at a guy like Nico Horner. I think Nico is at a perfect rate for what he can be. I, You know, you might have said this, too, when Nico was in town. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if he's ever going to be that all-star type player, but Nico Horner is a darn good ball player. And if Brennan Davis can be just that inch or two better than Nico, that could be what takes off the Cubs, right? I mean, Nico provides some great work at shortstop, top of the lineup with some speed. You throw Brennan in that two or three spot, I mean, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I know some people are saying that the next core for the Chicago Cubs is Ian Happ and Nico Horner. To me, I agree with you. I think we always talked about Horner is not bad at anything. He's not exceptional at anything. He's just really, really good at everything. And that's the type of player yes. that is a good ball player to have on your baseball team. I guess I define core differently. Those are the difference makers. These are the guys you're going to sign to a long-term deal. Personally, when I hear Happen Horner, I disagree, and maybe you have a different combination. 
But if this kid continues to improve, and I think he will, I think there's a chance my core is Brennan Davis and Chris Morrell. Your thoughts? Oh, man. Chris Morrell. Just absolutely love him. And I am so happy to see him doing so well. I don't think it's any surprise, Darren, at least to people around here, maybe quicker than we thought, right? Yes. Getting the call directly from Double A. But when, whenever he got up, this is what I expected. I mean, the city to fall in love with him. South Bend fell in love with this kid. I mean, yeah. Chris Morrell was the guy at two minutes after the game was over here in South Bend. He was signing autographs on top of the rain tarp for, for 10-year-olds. And mm. it's between innings, he was playing catch with people in the home run porch. I mean, South Bend fell in love with Chris Morrell, and I fully expected Chicago to do the same. This soon, I don't know about that, but I absolutely love him, and I am so happy to see him doing well. Here's a guy, Darren, too, that I want to mention. Matt Mervis, you may have seen this on Twitter. Mm -hmm. He was the Cubs' first baseman to start the year. He is the only player in minor league baseball this year with 20 home runs and 20 doubles. That's combined between South Bend and Tennessee. I was talking with Justin Stone yesterday, as mentioned. There may come a time this year where if Matt Mervis continues this work, you may see him at AAA Iowa. Hmm, wow, very interesting. Brendan King, South Bend Cup broadcaster, my guest on WSBT Radio. Do you guys get any insight or any information on the status of a guy who we saw in Southburn for a couple of years, but I know injuries have slowed him down? What about Braylon Marquez? It seems like he's fallen off the face of the earth. I, to be honest with you, Darren, I have not heard a peep about Braylon either other than some photos from a couple photographers in Mesa that are out at the backfields every day, you know, just grabbing pictures of guys and following guys. I, all hmm. I know about Braylon is that he's still in Arizona, and I don't know if that's an injury thing, if that is they're just kind of holding him, being careful or what. But, you know, people forget or maybe forget that he made his major league debut in Chicago against the White Sox yeah. just a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic. That was pre-pandemic, right? That was at yes. least 2019. Um, so, um, you know, it, I just think it's wild. Um, so you hope that he's okay. And, again, Darren, I have not heard anything about him either. Fair enough. Hey, I got to ask you, just with all the things going on in minor league baseball, all the experiments going on, pitch clocks and – Eventually, I guess we're going to have bigger bases. Is there anything you feel like yeah. is going to work and be helpful to Major League Baseball? I, I think the pitch clock is coming uh, very fast, and it's clear that Rob Manfred is passionate about that. And If you watch his last couple press conferences, I don't think it's any secret that the pitch clock has made an impact in minor league baseball games. I mean, Darren, oh. a couple days ago, the Cubs shut out uh, Wisconsin 3-0. We played the game. In one hour and 55 minutes, that's the quickest baseball game I've ever had, no matter where I've been. Um, and <laughs> look, man, we finished that game, and the sun was still out here in South Bend, and <laughs> we're past the summer solstice, which is incredible. Um, so I don't think it's—I don't think anybody's denying that the pitch clock is not going to be in big league ball next year. I think where I get lost, and you know, some people may disagree. I, I just can't get on board with the robo umps, man. I just don't know how you're going to be able to push that and make it just normal in baseball for managers to accept. I mean, it's just something I don't know if they're, how they're going to pull it off. I don't get why we need bigger bases. Now, first base, I've always yeah. said I like to have the softball set up where there's two bases from a safety standpoint. I have no problem yeah. with that, but I don't understand why we need bigger bases at second base and third base. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we have them here in South Bend now, and they look like pizza boxes. You <laughs> pick them up, and it looks like you're delivering like a, a large Barnaby's pizza or something like that. So it's, uh, it's something. Has it made any difference from a safety standpoint, or is anything noticeable about it? I, I, the only thing I'd say is guys diving headfirst like stealing second base. There's a little bit more room, and where they can poke around – and avoid, like, getting cleated. Other than that, I really haven't noticed anything, to be honest with you. Okay. that's. I actually like the pitch clock idea. I was not a fan in, yeah. of it at first, but I just know Giovanni Gallegos of the Cardinals takes about 33 seconds in between pitches, and it's absolutely <laughs> unnecessary and ridiculous. There's no reason why, especially with pitch com, you cannot throw a pitch in 20 seconds. That should be relatively easy to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, you know, here in minor league baseball, it's 14 seconds when nobody's on base and 18 seconds when runners are on. Yeah. I would change the 14 seconds. I don't know. That just seems a little quick to me. But, I mean, they can make amends to that at the big league level, obviously. I don't know. The 14 seconds, that just goes by a little bit too quickly. But then again, some guys are quicker workers when nobody's on base as opposed to the opposite. So we'll see what, that, what happens with that. Hey, let's wrap up just by mentioning people coming out to the game tonight or listening on the radio. Yeah. Any tidbits, anything we should be watching out for with the Cubs and the Timber Rattlers? Well, I mean, DJ Hers is a human pitch clock. The way he works, <laughs> he works absolutely the, the quickest pace I've ever seen. Um, DJ's been great as of late, um, and I don't think it's going to be many more starts. This is my personal opinion. He's 21 years old. He's dominated through high A baseball in the Midwest League. If he continues to lay these four or five inning outings and striking out double-digit guys, he struck out 12 and 10 in two of his last five starts. Um, he's been great. So, you know, fans coming out to four wins field tonight. Not sure how long DJ Hurst is going to be here in South Bend, so that's one of those things. Enjoy him while you have him. Good to catch up with you. Have a great call tonight. Hopefully the weather holds up and we'll have some good baseball down at four wins field. Always enjoy the visit. Me too, DP. Appreciate you. That's Brennan King, South Bend Cubs broadcaster. More sports feed in just a moment on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 